Well, good morning, everyone. And I'm glad each one of you are here. And if you want to open your Bibles along with me to Exodus chapter 12, and we will be picking up in verse 43. Exodus 12, and we'll be picking up in verse 43. You know, all of you know that uh, this week we have our church family dinner after the second service. Next month, we're going to be having it on the second Sunday in honor of Veterans Day. As a matter of fact, any of you here who are veterans, we have a sign-up sheet out there on the table, and we'd like you to put your name and your branch of service uh, because we do desire to honor our veterans this year. So um, make sure you put that in the hopper. And also... um, we have to re- remember as well that, um, you know, the weather is changing. And so, uh, obviously, we're going to at least hopefully have a time before we have a major snowfall. But if ever it comes on the air that they want no unnecessary travel, we, we won't have church. We'll have it on flock note and so forth anyway. But just for your own awareness, if they close the roads, we don't want any unnecessary travel. We won't go against that, you know, that ruling. And, um, you know, it's interesting as we study the Word of God that so many people think of Christianity as just being, um, you know, a religion. They think of it as something for uh, people with maybe some diminished mental capacity who really don't have much intelligence. But nothing could be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, if you really read the Bible, it's the most astounding book you'll ever read. And the truth in it is absolute. But the problem is, over the years, we've had so many churches that get involved in what I call church doctrines. And it seems that all they preach are their doctrines, all their doctrines. And some of those really aren't sound, soundly based on Scripture, and they go off into some crazy this and that. But the reality is, is if, if we study the Word of God, and teach the Word of God alone, it's the most amazing book you'll ever read. And we have to understand it's very different than, like some people say, well, pagan and archaic religions. Well, Christianity is very different because all those pagan or so-called archaic religions are all about what people have to do to please their God, where Christianity is all about what God has done to redeem us. See, it comes the opposite way. And so as you study the Bible, <clears throat> excuse me, no, it is the Word of God to man. And it's the most amazing book. I mean, you can, re- you can read books on the Bible about how amazing it is. I mean, the prophecies that have been fulfilled. The prophecies that, that have been fulfilled about Jesus perfectly, you know, to the letter. If you take even a dozen of those prophecies and you get into the factorials, you know, of math and so forth, it would be Jesus Jesus just fulfilling maybe a dozen of those prophecies would be a one with zeros going to the moon and back. That's the number you can't even fathom. So the probability of that happening, you know, just by chance is ridiculous. And that's why prophecy is so important in Scripture. In fact, about one-third of Scripture relates to prophecy. No other holy book or religion has this kind of prophecy. The reason being, if a prophecy is made, like that in one day 
Israel would become a nation again after 2,000 years, if a prophecy like that was made and was not fulfilled, it would prove the religion to be wrong. But it was fulfilled. I mean, how do you explain these kinds of things? And that's why Scripture talks about we have the sure word of prophecy. It's sure because it's going to come to pass. It's prophetic because we're told in advance. And what does Scripture say? We're told in advance what's going to occur so we know he's Lord. <clears throat> so we're in Exodus chapter 12. And we're going to be picking up with uh, verse 43. And we have to remember that what we find in what is called the Old Testament, it's actually just one Bible, but in what we call the Old Testament, is just a shadow of things that were going to be fulfilled in the New Testament. And it's so amazing because it's like the Old Testament is just a shadow. You know what a shadow is? You're standing and the sun is beaming over you, and because your body or your figure blocks out the sunlight, it creates a dark spot or a shadow. The shadow isn't you, but it represents, it's just a symbol of who you are. And the shadow of the Old Testament is going to be brought to reality into fulfillment in the New Testament. For instance, in Colossians chapter 2, if you want to turn there, you can. You know, you don't have to look up all the verses I'm going to be sharing with you, but I think a few of them are worth looking up. In, in Colossians 2, in verses 16 and 17, 16 and 17, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding festivals or new moon or Sabbath. And why? That's all Old Testament. That's all the law. But remember, the law was to bring us to a place where we would understand who Yahweh God was and also to bring us to a place where we recognize and realize we're sinners. Verse 17, New moons, which are a shadow of things to come. Listen to this. But the substance is Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law. Everything we read in the Old Testament, every purpose of the law was to point us to Jesus, one who would save us from our sin, one who would bring us to a place where we could have a right relationship with God. What was the purpose of the law to begin with? What did they say? They said, you know, Moses, you go and find out what God wants us to do, and we'll do it. So the whole purpose of the law was God saying, if you want to have a relationship with me, this is the way you need to live. But then the law, as our school teacher, as we're told, was also to show us we can't do what God wants us to do to have relationship with him. Therefore, we need someone to step in and bridge the gap between God and our inability. And, of course, the one who did that is Jesus Christ. And someone once said that he reached out to God and reached out to man. And he fulfilled that promise for us. Again, if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 1. And once again, it's talking about the law being a shadow. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, um, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, if they could do that, why wouldn't they have stopped? 
for the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is not possible, not possible, that the blood of bulls and of goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, that's Jesus Christ, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So the incarnation uh, and Jesus coming in the flesh was not only a fulfillment of prophecy, it was necessary for the, for the forgiveness of our sin. Because we can't do it. We can't live the perfectly, a perfect righteous life. And therefore, we have been lawbreakers, sinners, lawbreakers. And so if we are lawbreakers, then we deserve the judgment or punishment that has been laid down by God and by Scripture, right? But God so loved the world that he gave. God gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus came to take our place. He was the Passover lamb, not a Passover lamb. And the Passover lamb offered himself once, Scripture says, and for all. Anyone who believes upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone. So now we pick up in Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. It's interesting when we read this portion, it almost seems like it's saying one thing and it says something else. Well, it's not. It's just telling us how those who are ineligible can become eligible. Just like with us. You know, we are ineligible for eternal life, but the Lord shows us how we can become eligible for eternal life. No, no, foreigner, shall, no foreigner shall eat it. But every manservant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it, the one who's been purchased. Verse 45, a sojourner, in other words, someone just passing through, and a hired servant shall not eat it, shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. And we're going to look at that a little bit later as a fulfillment of prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger, now listen, now when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover, like someone who wants to be saved, the Passover of the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him near and keep it. And he shall be, a, he shall be as a native of the land. In other words, once he commits himself to God, he's circumcised, He's just like a native of the land. There's no difference. He's to be treated as an Israelite. For uh, no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And it came to pass on that very day that the Lord brought the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt, according to their armies. And so this was communication that God had with Moses and Aaron 
just before they walked out, just before they left the land of Egypt with their armies. And it's interesting because he didn't say with their families or with their large group. He said with their armies. And when we think of army, we think of battle. And, of course, it relates to us, as we'll see in just a moment as well. Now, for the Jews, this Passover sacrament that he's talking to them about, uh, there was no sacrament or ordinance given by God to them that was held more sacred. And why? Because this sacrament of Passover that the Jews celebrate to this day is a reminder that they were brought out of bondage. They were in slavery. They were in bondage, and they were brought out into freedom. And for freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. And um, in the same way, for us, communion or the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, as we oftentimes call it for the believer, it is a reminder that God has delivered us. Hasn't he? He's delivered us from the bondage of this world and of sin. And let me share something with you, brothers and sisters. Sin is a cruel taskmaster, a very cruel taskmaster. You never can do enough, and sin loves to see you suffer. God rejoices in the salvation of sinners, but sin loves to see you suffer. Now, in Romans, if you want to turn there, chapter 6 and verse 14, I love this. <clears throat> Romans six fourteen, And it says this, for sin, remember sin's a cruel taskmaster. Sin wants to keep you down. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now notice, it is not saying you'll never sin. It's saying sin won't have dominion over you. Because you're not under the law. In other words, when you were under the law and you offered the sacrifice for your sin, the proper sacrifice, and that sacrifice was completed, the minute you walked away from the tabernacle or the temple and you fell to sin, you were under the same condemnation as before you went in. And sin has dominion over you. But sin no longer has dominion over us because we're not under the statutes of the law but we're under grace, for by grace you have been saved. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, but it's grace. And what is grace to us? I have committed my life to Christ. I love Jesus and with all my heart. And the minute I walk away from prayer, the minute I walk away from my study of the word, I fall to some kind of sin. And grace says you're covered. Because God knows our heart. And he knows that even in our desire to seek after him, we have shortcomings, we falter, we have sin that we fall to. And you've heard me share this so many times. You know, if you have someone in baseball who's batting 500, you say, wow, he's probably one of the best hitters in history. Well, batting 500 means 50% of the time you missed the ball. <laughs> You only hit, you only get on base 50% of the time, and we consider that person great. And the point I'm getting at is being a perfect Christian, or what is oftentimes termed Christian perfection, does not mean that you never sin. Because if that were the case, we'd all become little Jesus. But what it does mean is that we are seeking after righteousness. 
And as we seek after righteousness, we have our pitfalls, we have our shortcomings, but we keep going. We keep going. Keep going. And our Passover lamb, of course, is the lamb of God. The lamb of God. And if you want to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1, moving you around through some scriptures because they're so cross-referenced and related here. The Gospel of John chapter 1, that's easy to find. And go to verse 28. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Remember the first time that John the Baptist met Jesus? When was it? Just a little trivia question here. Yeah, when they're both still in the womb. Remember Mary went to her cousin Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant. Mary was just pregnant. And when they came together, uh, Elizabeth said that the child within her leaped And that's when she said to Mary, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. In other words, she knew that Mary had to have been a good woman to be chosen by God to bear the Christ. And the Christ was within her womb. And so John leaped for joy. They were cousins. And you know that when you have cousins, you can't get away from them. (laughs) That was kind of funny. But the, real, the realization is they were cousins. So what that means is they grew up together. They knew each other. And so when John went off into the wilderness because he was called of God to be the forerunner, he was prophesied of as well to be the forerunner of the Christ. He was actually, John the Baptist was actually the last Old Testament prophet, the forerunner of the Christ. Well, he watched Jesus grow up. Do you think if Jesus would have been just some fake or just some, someone who committed all kinds of sin, John wouldn't have known it? And yet, when he sees Jesus walking towards him, understand, he knew who he was. It was his cousin. It wasn't like, wow, who's this guy coming? He knew who he was. And even after watching his, him grow up, his cousin grow up, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew who Jesus was. He was the Messiah. And then again, move down to verse 35 in chapter 1 of John. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now listen to this. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What? Do you seek? Sometimes we read that and we kind of, we miss the point. What a great question. Someone is following after Jesus and he says, what do you seek? That's the same question Jesus is still asking us. What do you seek? Are you seeking harmony in your home? Are you seeking friendship? Are you, what, what are you seeking? Or are you seeking salvation? Are you seeking God in the flesh who came to earth in order to die for sin. Are you seeking after Yeshua, Hamashiach, the Messiah, Jesus, the anointed one? Who are you seeking? 
I'm seeking Jesus because I'm a sinner and I desire to have my sins forgiven. And only Jesus can forgive us our sins. Because even in human relationships, like you go up to your spouse and you say, Honey, I'm so sorry I did that. And she says, I forgive you, but you, you always are asking me to forgive. You do that so many times. Why? Because your spouse is human. And even though they do forgive you, there's some lack of full forgiveness there because they're reminding you of all the other times you did it. But what does it tell us in Scripture? He forgives us, and what does it tell us about our sin? He remembers them no more. That's real forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ. It's absolutely amazing what the Lord does. And that's why we seek after him, that we might become his children, heirs of salvation with with him. Now, this special ordinance called Passover was not to be shared with foreigners, it tells us there. For us, the Lord's, the Lord's table, we're going to be sharing communion at the end of this time. The Lord's table is for the believer. An unbeliever can share in it. It won't mean anything to them, but, they, but the table itself, really understanding communion is for the believer. Because for the believer, it's a reminder that he shed his blood, his body was broken, he died on a cross that our sins might be forgiven. And when I participate in this sacrament called communion, it reminds me what the Lord has done. It reminds me of why I follow him. Because I once was lost, and I now I'm found. I was dead, and now I'm alive. That's what it means to me. Not just something we do. It's not just the fruit of the vine, grape juice, and a cracker, an unleavened cracker. It's a reminder that Jesus died and shed his blood for me. And also we have to understand, as far as circumcision, he talked about those who wanted to be part of this sacrament of Passover had to be circumcised. But we have to realize for us, circumcision is not of the flesh, it's of the heart. In fact, in Romans uh, chapter 2, verse 25, I'm going to be reading a few verses you can just Write these down and look them up when you get home. Romans 2.25. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So what Romans is telling us here is if you say, well, I'm a circumcised Jew. I'm a circumcised Christian. But if you're only depending on that circumcision, like the Jews, putting yourself under the law to give you a relationship with God, you're going to find yourself falling to sin and disobeying. And therefore, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. In other words, it's worthless. point that's being made is just some physical act you do doesn't necessarily make you a believer. It has to be something that is of the heart. And that's why, you know, and, and, and I go back and forth on this myself as well, but like last week, I encouraged people who wanted to accept Christ, sitting right where they were, to just, in their heart, confess their sin and receive Jesus as Lord. It's one of the reasons that I 
am reluctant personally to give an emotional altar call, as we, as we call it. Because if I do that, I might talk people into coming forward. And, you know, it's like circumcision. Coming forward and, and you know, saying, I'm going to pray over you. Well, unless your heart has been circumcised, it means nothing. And so oftentimes what happens is you call people forward and you pray over them and they're all, they're all doing it out of emotion because you talk them into it. And the minute they leave the doors of the church, the world talks them out of it. And then sometimes their heart becomes harder. Because your salvation has nothing to do with me. Your salvation has everything to do with your relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. The triune nature of God at work in you. <clears throat> okay, again in Romans 2, move down to verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, in other words, circumcised by the flesh, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. This in the spirit, not in the letter. In other words, it's something that we do not in the letter, keeping the law, keeping this and keeping that. It's a matter of our hearts saying, God, I just want to follow you. I love you. Forgive my sins. Give me your Holy Spirit. I just want to follow you. And then in Galatians 5, 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Isn't that beautiful? In Colossians 2.11, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Jesus is the only one we should desire to circumcise us. Now circumcision in the Old Testament could only be done to males for obvious reasons. But circumcision in the New Testament is for both men and women because it's of the heart. We all have a heart, and we're circumcised of heart. And when we are circumcised of heart, we become part of the family of God. We are one. There's no difference. Galatians, why don't you turn to that? Galatians chapter 3, I love this portion. Galatians chapter 3, and go to verse 28. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, go to verse 28. <clears throat> there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male or female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So this circumcision of heart that we share together, we're one in Jesus. We're not a bunch of different bodies or different people. We're one in Christ. Now, this is why there are none who are more saved than others. Because of uh, some set of beliefs that they, or some group that they follow. Listen to what Hebrews 5.9 says. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. You know, there's not, 
Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, you know, uh, uh, Anglican, Independent, you know, Calvary Chapel. There's not a whole bunch of different groups that are saved. When you're saved, you're part of the body of Christ. You belong to him and he alone. So one group isn't more. Well, our group is more saved than your group because we do this and we do that. We are the same in Christ. Now, it also tells us that, um, I want to see if I, um, in Hebrews 5, 9, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal life. I already read that, to all who obey him. Now, it says, in one house it shall be eaten, and you shall not carry any of the flesh outside of the house. So, in other words, every family must abide within the doors of their dwelling because of the destroying angel. And the doors that we're to abide in, brothers and sisters, is the body of Christ, the church. The church is not just bring Calvary Chapel. I mean, how egotistical would that be? The church is not just any other uh, building that you see around here. The church is one. The church is made up of all believers in Jesus Christ. We're one. And we have to stay within that body. We need to be born again. For instance, if you want to be a Boy Scout, you have to be a Boy Scout. There's no independent Boy Scouts. Well, I haven't gone to any meetings. I haven't joined any troop. I'm just kind of off my own, but I'm a Boy Scout. No, you're not. If you want to be a Boy Scout, you have to become a Boy Scout. And if you want to be born again, which is the only way you can enter into the body of Christ, you're born, you know, now of the spirit rather than the flesh. If you want to be born again, you have to be born again. There's no, there are no born again Christians who are not born again. You see how the correlation is the same? So we must be born again. And we need to have that attitude because sometimes, even when I've talked to believers, they'll say, well, he or she's, they're such a nice person. It's just hard for me to believe they're not going to heaven. They're so nice. Well, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and the road to hell is also paved with people who are nice. The fact is, we have to be born again of the Spirit. It would be different if the Lord held back. Well, I'm not going to give my, you know, my salvation to you. But anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's open to everyone. Now, the fact that the Passover lamb was not to have a bone broken found fulfillment in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, uh, on the cross. In fact, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. The Gospel of John, chapter 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The Gospel of John, chapter 19. Go to verse 33. <clears throat> the Gospel of John 19, verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen, uh, has testified. And um, this testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. Verse 36, for these things were done that Scripture should be fulfilled. Not one bone shall be broken. 
Not one of his bones shall be broken. And remember, in the Passover lamb, they were not to break the leg. They were not to break the bones. Now, you, you might be wondering, why would they break the legs? Because crucifixion is an awful death. In, in, in our human body, we have is the thoracic cavity and abdominal cavity. And there's, it's separated. It's not straight across. It's separated about like that. And the abdominal cavity, of course, is where you know, all the digestive system is and so forth. And the thoracic cavity is also where your lungs and heart are and so forth. And separating it, you have a diaphragm. And the diaphragm, by going in and out, that's how you breathe. You know, when it's in, when it's out, <sighs> that's how you breathe. And so what happens when a person is crucified, the way they're stretched out, their diaphragm becomes incapable of moving. And so in order to move their diaphragm so that they can breathe, they have to pull in their hands and push up on their feet. And when they do, it causes excruciating pain, and they let go. And then, once again, so crucifixion, the death of crucifixion was actually asphyxiation, a very long-term asphyxiation. You know, you smother, in a sense. And so what happens when you're not getting enough oxygen through your lungs, you're not breathing enough, it causes fluid to build up in the thoracic cavity. And, of course, the heart's right there, too. So what they would do is they would put a spear right under the ribs, right up into the thoracic cavity, and if the person was dead, water would come out besides the blood. They knew the person was dead. So when the soldiers did that, they weren't being mean. They just wanted to make sure he was dead. And because he was dead, they didn't break his legs. See, if they break your leg, you can't push up, and you're going to die quickly. And so everything you read in Scripture, it's there for a reason, maybe for more of a reason than you even you know, have thought about. And, um, and then when he talks about people coming out by their armies or their hosts, and uh, this is why the Lord is oftentimes ca- called the Lord of hosts. Because when he brought the children of Israel, he said, by their armies. And armies are also call- called hosts. Lord of hosts means the Lord of the armies. And he is still the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies to his people. But our battle is to be fought for the salvation of souls. We are to be his army, not frightened little children. Oh, I don't want to say anything. People will get mad at me. People will make fun of me. I'm not going to be a frightened little children. I'm going to be honest about it. And uh, also, we're not to allow ourselves to get caught up in the battles of this world. Scripture says we're not to be caught up in civilian affairs. And in our flesh and in our humanity, we have all kinds of causes and battles that we're involved in. But as believers, our only battle is for the Lord. It's not for politics. It's for the Lord to serve him. And that is what we have to understand. We are born-again Christians, which makes us his his children, makes us the family of God, gives us all the promises and hopes that he has given of eternal life, and heirs to salvation with all the saints in the world, and to be his servants as long as we have breath in our, in our lungs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for salvation. We thank you for your word and for this sacrament that we're about to share in. I pray, Lord, that you would use it to encourage us and to remind us 
of the hope that we have in you. And now, Father, prepare our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay. You know, the sacrament of the Lord's table, we only have two sacraments in the Christian church, the sacrament of baptism and the Lord's table. And both of them are to remind us of what God has done. And you know why we need reminders? Because we forget. And so, if my brothers will help me here, we'll pass out the unleavened bread, better known as matzah, and the fruit of the vine, Welsh's grape juice. <laughs> but it is fruit of the vine. Thank you, brothers. You know, Scripture says you are saved by grace. And that, in the Greek, is what we call the present continuous tense. In other words, you have been saved. You're being saved. You shall be saved. Our salvation is eternal. It's not just something that happened in the past. It's not just something that's occurring in the present. It's something that happens until we are with the Lord. And that's the reason it's such a wonderful salvation that God has given us. Because he knows we're imperfect. And that's why his grace, that's why his salvation is continuous. Every day I need the grace of God. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it be, if the day you got saved you never sinned again? But that's not the case. Every day we need him. And therefore we do this in remembrance of that all that he has done for us. So take and eat and drink and be so thankful to your God. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Thank you for the way you've ministered to us. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would bless to our soul and spirit this sacrament as an encouragement to live a life for you for no other reason than we love you. And we pray all this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay, God bless you, my dear friends.